Well, every Sunday, every first day of the week is special. It's the day that our Savior was raised from the dead, and we gather here in His presence to bring glory to His name on this resurrection day. So every Sunday is special, but some Sundays are special for us in a unique way because of activities that we have going on, and as has been mentioned a couple of times already, we're going to be honoring our, our seniors today, so that makes this a, a special Sunday for us here in the League City congregation. And it's also special to us, uh, if you're visiting here, uh, we're honored by your presence. That also makes it a blessed Lord's Day to have you in our midst, and it's a joy to be able to uh, welcome those who maybe are not members of the Lord's Church or maybe not members of this congregation visiting from other congregations. We're glad that you're here, and we hope you'll be blessed for being present what I'd like to do before I get into the lesson, and I know there will be other remarks made at the end of our assembly and, and, and at the uh, luncheon that we're having, but I also wanted to take a moment to give a charge to our graduating seniors, to Kai and Eric and Grayson and Annalise. Of course, we have our college graduates, presumably, Presumably, we've, we've done this for them at some point in the past. Now, what, what we've done since I've been here, the, the program was Corey would get up and preach this Sunday and do something related to family and challenge our graduates and what have you. And with COVID, I, I'm, I, don't, I don't recall exactly what we did, but um, now... Uh, we're not having that sort of special lesson with uh, our youth and family guy before the church to, to deliver that. So that's why I just wanted to take a minute to give this charge. This is sort of like what I like to do with a new Christian when someone's baptized into Christ and then the first time we assemble together like this on behalf of the church to give a, a charge and to, to publicly acknowledge that brother or sister and encourage them. So that's what I want to do. Now, there are some great texts of Scripture that we might bring to mind to do something like this. And the one that I like to use is one of my favorite Old Testament texts to preach from. And I believe I have preached on this text here, though it's been several years. But Joshua chapter 1, 7 through 9. And I know these are the words of the Lord to Joshua at a critical time of transition. I think this is especially relevant when we think of our young people graduating and that they're in a time of transition in their lives. Well, here, at, at this point in salvation history, in the Bible story, God has used Moses to bring the people of Egypt out of Exodus and through the wilderness to deliver their law to them, and they're on the brink of finally going into the next phase of their relationship with God, of going in to conquer the land and take possession of what God promised their fathers He would give them. So as Moses passes off the scene, it's a new era with the mantle of leadership falling to Joshua. And Joshua, with this great responsibility and this new era before him, needs to be encouraged. And so the Lord encourages him here. Now, now, 
hear these words, Kai, Eric, Grayson, Annalise, hear these words on behalf of your brothers and sisters. Before God and in the presence of your brothers and sisters, I want you to think of these words being spoken to you, where the Lord said, only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may have good success wherever you go. You know, at a lot of commencement speeches, there's a lot about here's what you need to do to have success. You want to go out and be a success. We want you to be successful. But how do we define that? Well, this is how we define true success in the sight of God, walking in His way. Now, if you do that, he says, this book of the law, he said, it shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then, see, here will be the result. Then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. What a beautiful exhortation and how I don't know of anything that could be more relevant. Our prayer for you is for you to walk in the Lord's way, not to turn, not to be drawn aside to the right hand or to the left. To keep his law in your heart, to live it in your life so that God will be glorified in you so that your life will be a success in bringing honor and glory to God, and that God, therefore, can work in you to do great things to honor His name. That is our hope and our prayer for you. God bless you as you serve Him in truth with all of your heart, all of your days. Won't you come while we stand and sing? All right? Well, no, there's, wait, there's some more stuff I have prepared here. It's like a Pavlovian response, right? When you say that, you just sort of reflexively stand up. All right, this is actually, those of you who weren't here last Sunday, a continuation of what I started last time but had to, to cut short. So bear with me. Uh, we're not going to elaborate on all of this, but I do want to just set before you what we said. And we started by pointing out how God has made it possible for us to be in relationship with Him where uh, where. He is our Father, and we are His sons and daughters. So that idea of the fatherhood of God, being adopted, being born, is one metaphor. Another is being adopted by God into His family. To think of God as Father, to call upon Him as Father. Abba, Father. That shows you the importance. If God wants us to think of Him that way, then it shows us the importance of that relationship of fathers in general so that's how we launched into talking about fathers and I I realized I, I came up here and worked on this a little bit more it was difficult to see the graphic I wanted to use I had this uh, you know since superhero that genre is so popular now in, in pop culture we see the superhero stuff everywhere I thought this super dad image would be great but I realized it's really hard to see so uh, I adjusted it. Hopefully that's a little bit better and some of these slides will be a little bit easier to see. But I said, you remember, I like that image. I like that image because of the powerful influence, how mighty dads can be 
and God can use them in a powerful way to affect our families and our churches and our world. So this is, this is really still part one of Faithful Fathers. So how do you like this? This is part two of part one. See, I'm now, now we're having parts of parts. Uh, if you think I'm bad at dragging things out and having long series on stuff. Uh, so this is um, part one, part two of part one, part 1A of part 1B, uh, whatever. This, we're going to continue where we left off. Faithful fathers, that's what I asked you to write down at the top of the page. And really, this is a continuation of stressing that we're, we're laying a foundation. I like to approach topics by first talking about why it's so important that we look at what the Bible says about this. So I wanted to talk about the urgent need for faithful fathers. So you remember we went back, and this was another slide where it was hard to see, so I made this adjustment. Is that better? Did I, did I get? No. Yeah, it looks a little bit better there. Um, first of all, we need to understand what God's design is for fathers in, in the family relationship in general, of which the father is head. And this was not to minimize the role of mothers, or to fail to acknowledge and appreciate the tremendous influence that they have. But we wanted to see, now, what does God say? How did God design family? Well, we see uh, the three terms that I decided to use here. The approach I wanted to take to, to think about these things is, first of all, the, the, the purpose of fatherhood and family is for, for procreation, right? For the production of more people that the marriage context and, and a man joined to a woman together in the covenant of marriage for life, that that is the context in which fatherhood is to occur. And that's important. Procreation, sanctification, that is any kind of sexual activity outside of that relationship is wrong. It's sinful in the sight of God, and that's what leads, that's what leads to so many of the problems that we'll see here, we'll talk about in a moment. But also illustration, or you might say glorification, uh, the idea that the marriage in general and the husband and wife relationship, it's designed to reflect the glory of God, to show Christ's love for his church and to show the mystery of divine love and, and what God has done for us in Christ. Paul talks about all that in Ephesians 5, and we gave quite a few passages along those lines. So he said this is the context in which the Bible sets out the role, the critical role of fathers. But we said we're living in a time, there, used to, there was a time when this was almost universally understood and agreed upon in our culture. But how things have changed over the last several generations, especially, and even over the last several decades, and now we're seeing changes occurring so rapidly that now things are being advocated that are destructive to fathers and family that, that a, even a few years ago would have been unthinkable. We'll get to some of that. But this war on fathers, we said, we see it in, in pop culture we see it in academia where there is an attempt to, to justify this idea that we don't need the traditional family, um, that uh, children do just as well 
without a father, and, and I went through some of that, and you see those, those trends filter down from the academy, from the academic environment into the culture, and they're both reflected by and affected by pop culture, from the secularism in general, the supplanting of the biblical worldview with the moral relativism where self is the center of all things, uh, you've heard me talk a lot about that before. And so we said all the things that have come along with the rise of secularism have all been destructive to faith and fatherhood. Really the whole redefinition of the family. To try to define a mar- redefine marriage, redefine what, what a family is in radical ways that are antithetical to God's design that we just noted. That's really ultimately a war on fathers and that there is a concerted effort to indoctrinate our children in these views that are hostile, that are contrary to, that are destructive of uh, faith and family. And we're seeing, thankfully, we're seeing more and more parents rise up and express outrage and concern and want to take control of what their kids are taught. And in response to that, we see a great, contempt for parental authority in our day that is a very egregious matter. So that this is where we left off. That has led to, the war on fathers has led to a crisis in fatherhood. Now I'm going to reiterate something I said last time in a condensed form, but it, it, it's so important. Really it was probably the single most important thing that I said last time that I want to reiterate again. We want to be sensitive to the fact that not not all of us had faithful fathers. If you did not, or if your children right now do not, or if you feel perhaps that you failed as a father to be what God called you to be, we realize that these are these are very sensitive matters, and we should remember that. We all are in need of God's grace and mercy. And that wherever we've been, whatever's happened in our lives, whatever others failed to do for us or that we failed to be for others, or wherever we find ourselves now, that God is powerful, that God still values you and loves you and me. And that regardless of the circumstances of our lives, that God is able to do in us still from this time forward, God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. That in Christ there is healing, there is forgiveness, there is hope that we can still be used by God and bring glory to God. And so we don't want to suggest that uh, you're, that you're doomed uh, if uh, that that your your family is not in keeping with the things that we've looked at already. That somehow you're not as valued or loved by God, or that you know, you're, you're destined to uh, despair or anything like that. But we do, we do want to notice, though, when we spurn God's way, so we, we have to help people understand what's behind what is going on, the destruction in our culture. And the answer to it is to return to God's plan, to return to God's way, to respect his will and his wishes in the way he designed us and the way he designed the home and the family. So that's why we need to reflect on this for a few minutes. 
what I'm calling this crisis in fatherhood. Look how much has changed. Again, we're, we're trying to be sensitive to the fact that we realize people find themselves having made wrong choices in their lives in situations that are not ideal. And the important thing is where we go from here. But I'm being very frank about how much has changed here in the last generation and a half or so, over the last 60 years roughly or so. What, what, look at the change that we've seen in the lifetime of most all of us right here. Back in 1960, 5% of children were born to unwed mothers. Now look how that changed by the time I was born in 1980. Do the math there. Um, Now notice how it it increased threefold in 20 years. All right, then look at, you go another 20 years and you see how it nearly doubles again. And then right well, now, presently, the, the latest statistics from a few years ago, almost half of children born in our culture, almost half, from 5%, very, very low, to almost half of kids born, born are born without a father in the home is the point. And for certain demographic groups, it's especially high uh, where it has increased Uh, to the point where it is for some demographic groups a monumental crisis, a crisis of great magnitude that really needs to be addressed. And uh, I wish we could elaborate on that more, but I've got some things I want to set before you. So, So what's the result of that? When we spurn God's way and when a culture feels that it, it, knows its own way and does not have to submit to, to God's plan, what is the result of that? You know, Proverbs 1.7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So in other words, to, to be smart, to be wise, to be blessed is to fear God, to respect His way. But, but when we don't, when we despise his way, we see how foolish, we see the destruction that it brings. So let me just cite a few statistics. And the first few I'm going to give here were cited a number of years ago. In 2008, President Obama was at a church in Chicago, and he pointed this out. He was addressing the crisis in fatherhood, and I've always appreciated that he did that. And so he pointed out that kids who grow up without a father are five times more likely to commit crime in general. But then he said nine times more likely to drop out of school, 20 times more likely to end up in prison, 20 times, 47 times more likely to live in poverty. And we're going to draw some conclusions about all this in a minute. I'm just going to overwhelm you sort of just going to put a lot out there here for just a moment or two. So kids who grow up without a father actively involved in their lives, married to their mother, taking care of them, they account for the vast majority of youth suicides. Kids who who don't have a father. Again, we're not saying there are exceptions to these trends. I'd like to think of myself as one. But these are the facts. 71% of high school dropouts, 70% of teen pregnancies, 71% 71% of adolescent drug use, 
85% of youths in prison did not have a father figure active in their lives. And we see what, what the result is. 90% of homeless kids and runaway youth are in that situation largely because they did not have a loving father looking after them. It's, it's staggering. Now, again, we could, we could pile statistic on top of statistic. There's just a mountain of social science research that has been done that corroborates what the Word of God has been saying all along about the essentiality, the importance of fatherhood. But a father absence leads to higher rates of depression, divorce, substance abuse. It leads to lower educational performance, lower average income, job security, level of health, of life expectancy even, because of all the other factors that are brought to bear. It actually results in a lower lifespan. Now, father presence, on the other hand, and by presence, I have this asterisk there because we don't just mean a father is somehow there, but we mean present in the sense of actively involved in the life of his children. Father presence leads to lower infant mortality, emotional and behavioral problems, lower cases of neglect and abuse of children, obesity, teen pregnancy, incarceration, suicide. I know I'm repeating some of these things again, but putting them in a different perspective. Um, it, father presence leads to higher empathy in children that makes them more uh, socially adapted and functional as adults even. Greater confidence, resilience, the social skills, positive life outcomes in so many different areas. I, I recently heard an interview with the author of this book, The Boy Crisis. And he actually left the radical feminist movement. He was a part of it for a while, but he said he got discouraged when he realized that uh, the, the women who were militant in their radical feminism did not care about the impact of their ideology on the well-being of boys and their effort to suggest, their effort to promote this idea that women don't have to be married to have children, they don't need a father, that children will do just as well with or without a father. Uh, it bothered him that they weren't willing to hear the facts on that. And so he actually did a, a great deal of research, very valuable research, and put it out in his book, The Boy Crisis, showing how these things have an even more dramatic impact on boys than girls. And he found 70 different areas where life outcomes are significantly better when there is a father present. So again, we could go on and on citing other statistics, but I've tried to find ways to sort of look through all the data and, and, and summarize it for you. Father presence influences well-being and success more than really any other factor, more than having your kids in a good school, more than being in a certain income stratum. You know, this idea that, well, you know, it's just poverty that results in kids not doing well, and if you're in a higher social class, your kids will do better. No, no, these things go across economic lines. More important than economic status is the presence of a father. That has more of an impact in determining positive outcomes for children more than uh, essentially any other factor. Well, where does intentional fatherlessness come from? 
What's at the root of this? What's behind this? I say intentional. I mean, we realize people can pass away and, and leave children without a father. We mean when people make life choices that result in children not having a father. Well, of course, the, the principal causes are divorce, abandoning one's children, and having children apart from marriage, outside of the covenant of one man, one woman joined together for life. That sexual immorality results in father absence. So in other words, spurning God's will for sex in the family results in all of this chaos and all of this destruction in the lives of children. And that's a problem not just out there in the culture, but we realize it's crisis in the church as well, and I'll talk about that as we proceed uh, in the lessons and how we can address that. But here are my concluding remarks about what all this means. And I won't elaborate on these, but I do want to get them before you before we close. So what does all this mean? Well, I think it shows that there's nothing more important than for us to uphold the truth about God's will for the family and for the place that God has for fathers in the family, to do it with conviction because we know it's offensive to the world. We know it runs counter to the trends of the culture, but we have to be convicted for God's truth. But we can do it with compassion. We can do it with sensitivity toward those who find themselves in very difficult situations because they haven't had God's ideal will realized in their family situation. So both of those are important. It's critical not just to teach it, to uphold it, to talk about it, but to live it, to model it in our own homes, in our own families, to the church, but also to the community, modeling God's will for fathers and family. It's important we mentor and disciple kids who need a... a, father figure in their lives who were not blessed with this. We should be mindful of them and take an interest and be actively engaged in helping those children. We need to support, and this is what this series is about largely, to support, to assist, to equip, to instruct and encourage and admonish our fathers to rise to the challenge of being the dads that God has called them to be. That's the whole point of having this series. We need to support our single moms who don't have the father there in the home and realize that then, given what we've looked at, their their children could be at risk or need uh, help and extra attention and care and concern from the church. We need to be mindful of that as well. And then, as I said, behind all of this, we see the root problem is an abandonment of God's will for how children are to be raised in the context in which they're to be conceived and born and raised. So we need to proclaim and practice God's will for sexual purity and marital faithfulness. I don't know what could be more important than these things. What could bless the community more? We're trying to show that we need to found our build our homes on the foundation of God's design, God's will. Unless the Lord builds the house, Psalm 127 and 1, those who build it labor in vain. When we follow God's way, when we walk in His way, that's described as walking in the Spirit. The result 
will not be the chaos and hardship that we see so often from spurning God's way, but what's the fruit of the Spirit? We will see homes that produce more love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all the things that we talked about and, and so much more. We want people to be able to look at the League City Church of Christ and look at our families and see modeled what God is calling upon all of us to have, to, to let our families be a light. Let your light shine, Jesus said, before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father. We want the light of God's truth and the beauty of God's plan to shine forth from our families whether they're broken families, whether they're struggling families, or whether they're ideal families, that we're striving to, as fully as we can from where we are, live out faithfully God's plan for our homes. And that will, that will be a light to draw people to God and bring honor and glory to His name. So we said in closing, God is a father to the fatherless. Maybe you didn't have a faithful father and, and some people it's difficult for them to relate to how that's appealing, the idea of God as father. If they only knew hurt from their father or didn't know their fathers, whatever the case might be. But God has not only created us, but he wants us to be his family, his children. He adopts us as his own. What love. This caused John to just be in wonder and, and to think upon the power and the beauty of the See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, that we should be called his children and that we should call him our Father. And he says that's what we are if we're in Christ. And so that's the question that I want to raise to you. Are, are you in Christ? Have you been born again? Have you entered into his family? Are you God's child this morning? And if you need to know what to do to, be, to become a child of God, we want to help you with that. Let us know. We're going to stand and sing this song together to encourage you if you want to come publicly. Whatever way you want to express that, please let us know. You can be a child of God this day Praise Him that it is so. Let's sing together. Won't you stand while we sing?